Good morning, church. Today I'll be reading Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Crosspoint, good to be with you, sort of. (laughs) Um, Man, I'm really bummed that we could not be together this Sunday, but thank God we still have the means to be able to um, be underneath God's Word. And this feels a little bit like we're throwing things back to the good old days, um, you know, circa early 2020, um, which feels like more than a year ago, but in reality it was only a few months ago uh, before we were gathering again. So uh, just quickly, my family's doing fine. Um, We are on the up and up and Ryan really has been the only one feeling significant symptoms, but hers have been um, declining. Her symptoms have been declining um, today especially, and she hasn't been feeling as many aches and pains and um, still doesn't have any taste. Uh, neither do I, um, So, but we thank you for your prayers. Um, if that's the, um, the worst of things, then um, we'll take it. Praise God. So, We finally made it. We're here at the end of our series, um, Songs on the Road to Renewal. This is a study in the Psalms of Ascent. If you're just joining us, we're we're wrapping things up. And uh, we've been studying these 15 Psalms, starting in Psalm 120 and now ending in Psalm 134. This is uh, the final week. It's the end of the tour um, of, of the Israelites' journey to where their worship ends. And it ends exactly where you think it would at the temple. Um, if uh, <clears throat> you've ever been on a long road trip, um, you've probably uh, thought to yourself or maybe even said out loud, man, I really hope this is worth it. Um, or maybe you've been watching a movie you've never seen and, and you're not really sure midway uh, through the movie how it's going to end and you're thinking, man, I hope this is worth it. Or possibly listening to someone tell a story and you're just thinking to yourself, man, I really hope the ending's worth it because this is dragging on. Um, sometimes life drags on, and the journey drags on. Um, and sometimes we're wondering, man, is this all worth it? Is the life that we're journeying on, is everything I'm doing and, and working towards and striving for worth it? Is it going to be worth it? In Westminster's um, catechism, in the shorter catechism, the first question in that is this, and you're probably familiar with it. What is man's chief end? And the answer to that is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is where the journey culminates for us as Christians. To worship God both in glorifying Him and enjoying Him. Both are what we are called to in both both here and for all eternity. And yes, I'll just tell you up front, I believe it and I hope in it and in Christ that it is all worth it. That both for today and forevermore, it will be worth it. As we look at this text today, the first thing that we should realize is this word, Lord. It's used five times in just these three verses, which means we should pay attention to it. We should pay attention. In Hebrew, there's two words used for God. One is Elohim, 
in which is the um, general word for God, our Father. And the um, other word is Yahweh. The former, or I'm sorry, the latter is what is used here. It is the word Yahweh translated in English as Lord. Yahweh is God's personal name. In Greek, it's translated Kyrios. This is the name that we see given to Jesus. And before we begin, let's just pause and, and think about this, how amazing it is that Yahweh would not only give us a name to call Him by personally, but becomes personal with us, even to the extent of becoming like us. Therefore, Philippians 2.9, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Kyrios, to the glory of God the Father. This is the one, this is the Lord, whom we speak of today. The Lord, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth and yet puts aside His robes of glory, puts aside His robes of majesty, and puts on our robes instead. That He becomes God incarnate, which is just uh, simply means a, a bodily form. That God takes on flesh. May we remember that this Jesus is not merely an example that we follow. But He is our Lord and He is our Master. He is the one in this passage that tells us, made heaven and earth. He is the Creator and the Sustainer. By Him, through Him, and for Him were all things created. May we remember that today. To bless Him means to kneel before Him, to bow our hearts to Him, and to offer Him the worship that He deserves. And so as we begin, come, wherever you're at, sitting on your couch, maybe you're driving, wherever you're at, come, bless Him. Come, all you servants of His, Find your chief end in glorifying Him and enjoying His blessing. First point today is to bless the Lord because you get to. Bless the Lord because you get to. Servants of the Lord, this word servant, um, is, is in reference to those who served in the temple. And they were charged with the responsibility of standing in God's presence over the Ark of the Covenant and offering thanksgiving and prayer and sacrifices to God. As I mentioned last week, the Levitical priesthood is dead. And so the priesthood that we understand today is, um, is, is not modern-day pastors, but it is you, it is me, and it is we. It is the household of God. Servant, the word servant, can uh, be translated, this same word, as slave. In the Greek, you may be familiar with the word doulos, which is what Paul refers to himself as. That he's a slave of the gospel, a slave of God. 
to understand such strong language like that, we first have to understand the nature of the covenant that God has made with His people in rescuing them from slavery. So in in rescuing them, He did so for Himself. He, He rescued them for Himself and to Himself. He rescued them to Himself that they would see themselves no longer as slaves of men, but as slaves to God. And if they would commit to seeking God, and to serving Him and to trusting Him, then, then He would be faithful to protect them, to, to provide for them, and to preserve them and sustain them no matter what. This was the covenant God made to His people. And see, God did not want to just de- deliver His people from slavery. He wanted to bring them in. He wanted to usher them into something grand and glorious. Something better than simply just being free of something but ushered into and underneath something else that would not limit them and not oppress them, but would provide for them the freedom to which they were created for. God wanted to deliver them and bring them into the land called Canaan. This was the promised land that he gave them up front. And before entering Canaan, Moses said to the people, and you might remember this, he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then, hear this, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. For it is the Lord, your God, you should fear. You shall serve Him. He, or, yeah, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Well, of course, we know the story that uh, they didn't take care. They did forget God. Um, they uh, did not fear Him, and they did not serve Him. And they did swear by the things that He gave them. And as a consequence they became slaves to those very things. And it's Paul in Romans 1 who then tells us, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. To be clear, this is you and I. This is about you and I. Every single one of us has chosen something over God. We have chosen the things that He has given us in our sinfulness instead of Him. We have chosen the creation instead of the Creator. Yes, we have a free will, but that free will is free only to the extent of the freedom to which it knows. And being marred by sin, the freedom that we think we have is only condemnation outside of Christ. And so, what does God do? He shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have nothing else to claim this morning except God's goodness to us. We have no other reason to be blessed than God is merciful. And we have every reason to bless God 
because He is merciful, because He is good. We bless Jesus when we recount these things, what we have been delivered from and the lengths to which God went in order to deliver us. Kyle Pizzuto, he is one of the partners here, and he, in the devotionals this week that he wrote, he, he said this, he, he, God, desires for us to appreciate the love He has extended to us. We bless God when we do this. So is the posture of your heart today, church, one that says, I, mean, I want to bless God. I want to bless Him because I get to. Because he's, he's made it possible for me to bless Him. That I was estranged and far away from Him, having nothing to do with God, much less His blessings. And yet God came near. And He brought me out from my sin, the slavery of my sin. And He opened my spirit and He opened my eyes to see the goodness of Him so that I might serve Him and love Him. And because of that, I want to bless Him. I want to give Him all that I am. Is that your posture? So come. Come bless Him. Bless Him in wonder that you get to bless Him at all. Point number two, we bless Him while we serve Him. Bless Him while we serve Him. Are we servants or sons? Are we servants or sons? And when I say sons, I mean in the general sense of um, sonship. Allow me to briefly unpack this for a second when I talk about servant. The New Testament uses multiple uh, different metaphors to describe the church. One of those is a house or a household. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. We put a slide on there for Hebrews 3. It says, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to things that we or that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence in boasting in our hope. We see that Moses was a part of the house of God as a servant, but Jesus is over the house of God as a son. And then it's this Jesus that then flips the script and he invites his disciples into a more personal relationship with the Godhead than they had before. A more personal relationship than simply being a servant. He says in John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now this, of course, is not friendship in the modern notion of friendship that we know. You know, like, like a give and take um, relationship because Jesus is Lord. And Jesus still commands it for us to obey Him. And it's not a two-way street. But it is in relation to a friendship that, um, that serves as a, as a metaphor for Jesus going to the links that He went to in order that we might know and understand the Father's will. That He might reveal to us all that the Father wants for us. Just as if we were His own. So are we servants or sons? Yes. 
We're both. Your, your status, church, is that of sonship. Your status is son or daughter. It is not of servant any longer. Your, your status is, is that in Christ of a son. And your duty is that of servant. We do not serve so that we might be a son or a daughter. But because we are a son or a daughter, we serve. We're brought into the household of God as sons and daughters through Jesus. In Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. As part of the household of God, we serve both God and others. Now this is really important that we get this, that we serve from a place of sonship, meaning that we are not part of the household of God because we serve, we serve because we are a part of the household of God. It's so important for us to understand that we don't serve God in order to become a part of the household of God. No, because we are a part of the household of God, because, because we are sons and daughters, and we serve. And I think we understand this to you know, an extent in just a, an earthly example that in any household, um, we serve in the house. As a father, I have roles I must serve. My wife has roles in which she must serve. My kids and my son's learning how to do chores around the house. And he doesn't do those chores in order to prove himself to be a son. No, but because he is a son, he serves in the house. It's this emphasis that changes everything for you and me. It's, it's the foundation of the gospel that there's nothing you did, could do, in order to bring you into God's family. But this alone is a free gift of grace to you and to me. Like the prodigal son who returns back to his father thinking that he could, he could serve his way back into the family only to be met with a robe around him and a ring shoved on his finger and a feast provided for him. This is when we see that we too must not realize or must not think of ourselves as servants trying to work into a father's house but realize that our father has already clothed us that he's already um, he's already placed us high that he's already given us a status the highest status he could as his own son or daughter and that he is providing a feast for us to enjoy the blessings that come through Jesus See, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, He will bring us into this truth. He reminds us that we are not a son or a daughter because of what we can do for our Father, but because of what He has done for us. This is what it means when Paul says that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. That we don't serve in the old letter of the law, but we serve in the new way of the Spirit. It's a spirit within us that, that helps us cry out, Abba, Father, my God, my Daddy, my Father. So come. Come, you sons and you daughters of God, to bless the Lord. Come because it is your joy to serve Him. Point number three. We bless Him because we have been blessed. Bless him because you have been blessed. 
Notice how the author in, in Psalms here, Psalm 134, gives a further description of these servants. He says that they are the ones who stand by night in the house of the Lord. The responsibility of the priest was uh, continuous. It was day and night. There was not an hour, there was not a moment where the responsibilities of serving in the temple were not to be completed. And so the priests would be on rotation with each other to make prayer and thanksgiving and sacrifices to God. Now I can imagine, I I'm, I'm, might be stretching here a little bit and, and just trying to um, draw this out, but I can just imagine being there in, on the night shift and those nights feeling pretty long. And, you know, maybe during a day, perhaps there is um, encounters with others, there's interaction, there's company. And, um, but, you know, let's be honest, what's happening, what's really happening at 3 a.m., right? The night could get lonely and it could get wearisome. In many ways, this year has felt like we're standing by night. Just waiting for the rise of the sun in 2021. Just come 2021 and let us be on. Let's be moved on with this night. Even this time of quarantine for me and my family and not being able to be together for the next couple weeks as a family of God and and gathering on Sundays uh, feels like a night in and of itself. But some of you, I know, are struggling with with much more um, scary nights dealing with illness, long-term illness, dealing with death even, the passing of loved ones, dealing with anxiety socially and about work-related stuff, fear about what tomorrow is going to bring or not bring, loneliness. These are fearful things in the night. And when we lift up our hands to the holy places, church, to bless the Lord, as it says here, when we lift up our hands, we say, this is where my trust lie. This is where it lay. Right here, as I lift my hands and I look up to the heavens, to the throne of God, we say, this is where my trust lay. Hands that will not lift up to God's throne either cannot acknowledge their need for Him or refuse to let go of the things that He demands them to. When our hands say no. We either cannot let go of the things that He is asking us to let go of and they're too too tightly clenched. Um, And you may think, man, what the heck is going on? What are they doing? We are made of more than just flesh and a mind. We're, we're a body and a spirit. And the two things are, are intricately linked. They're inextricably connected. Let me say that again. Inextricably connected. You cannot separate them. The Quakers, um, they had this practice when they would go to pray. Um, and it was called centering down. And um, another term for it is palms down, palms up. And how it went was this, is that they would, they would come together to pray. And they would start when they prayed with their palms down. And palms down would be to identify things that they need to release and let go of and, and release those things to God. And then as they were ready, they would flip their hands over and they would place their palms up. And they would receive from God's grace. 
Now, the palms weren't magical. There was nothing in doing this that did anything different, didn't make God do anything different. But in the gesture itself, it was a way for them to posture themselves, to posture their heart, to posture their souls and their minds before God. Have you ever thought, I don't feel like it? Of course you have. We all have. We've all made that comment or made that thought inwardly. Man, I don't feel like it. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like going to service. I don't feel like going to community group. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like listening to anyone today. And on and on and on. I mean, we, we say this a lot because it happens to all of us. We just don't feel like doing certain things. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. There's plenty of things that we could name on that list. We've all had that thought. But the point is that we don't let our feelings run the show. Our feelings don't run the show in our lives. Again, there's nothing magical with lifting up our hands to God when we're singing praise. But perhaps what your soul needs is to be urged on by the example of your body. Or as Eugene Peterson says, you may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing. Just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up also in praise. So take your stand, servant of the Lord. Assume your post. Fulfill your duty as one who works unto the Lord. Bless the Lord in season and out of season, in night or in day, in trouble or in joy. You, servant of the Lord, most beloved son, child, bless him because he's not ignoring you. No, he is very very familiar with you and your circumstances, and He cares deeply about them. Better yet, He's taking all of these things and He's he's working them for your good and His glory. All of these things are amounting to an eternal weight of glory. And He's going to use them to grow you. He's going to use them to even bless others. And He's going to yield out of you an eternal harvest for the kingdom. Do you believe it? Don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever may come our way, may we lift our hands to the throne of God, knowing that 2021 is not our hope, but Jesus is. The one who sits on the throne is our hope. And He tells us this. In Luke 12, 35, he says, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. I love that. That they may be so waiting and so ready that as soon as the master knocks, we swing open the door. And we're excited and we're ready for him to come. The final verse here points us in that direction. It's what is called the benediction, which means blessing. And every week, the pastors, when when we preach at the end of the service, we pronounce a blessing over you guys. And so that you may go out, back into your homes, back into your workplaces, back into your recreational places, 
with a blessing so that you may remember that you do not go at it alone. That you do not go into the world alone. God is with you. And this verse is really the answer to the pilgrims' journeyed worship up until this point. When they worshiped at the temple and they said to the servants of the Lord to bless Him, to stand by night in the house of the Lord, to lift up your hands and bless the Lord. And then in response, we hear, May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. It's the indicative of their doing. It's the reason behind their blessing. It's the motive behind the commandment. And it's the reason that we move towards God. For He is our blessing. It's God and God alone. It's Yahweh. It's Kyrios, Jesus. It's Jesus who is our blessing. Zion is the location and it's significant because it shows us it's the presence of the Lord. But it's only a symbol pointing to something greater and, and, and grander for us today and for all eternity. It's a symbol pointing to God setting up His presence amongst His people forevermore. So no matter where you're at right now, no matter where you're at, your answer is not in anything but Jesus. It's not in anything but Jesus. Zion, the location can't bless you. The world certainly cannot bless you. The holiest of pastors can only wish a blessing over you. But Yahweh, Kyrios, Jesus, can and will bless each and every one of His waiting people. I want to close with the same passage uh, that I uh, closed with last week in uh, Revelation 7 which tells us of our eternal reward. And it's reminiscent of this ancient psalm that the pilgrims sung long ago. Revelation 7, verse 13 says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? And from where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Our blessing is in Jesus alone. No matter what God could give us, he's already given us the greatest thing himself. So as we approach Christmas, may our hearts even more eagerly await and eagerly anticipate Christ's second coming that we would see Him and know Him and the fullness of this blessing would be realized. Us seeing Him face to face, knowing Him as we are fully known. May God bless you as you also pilgrim through the night until you see the morning star. 
One day you and I will know so clearly how worth this journey really was.